I want to bring a word uh, called the contender. And, uh, you know, when I was at Dominion Conference recently, there was one key word that I was picking up during quite a lot of the preaching and even during times of ministry where people, uh, ministers were using the word contending, particularly Apostle Jane Hammond was using this word contending, encouraging us to contend even with the Lord at times, to, to actually go there and to, to take our case to the Lord and, and, and get, I suppose, in the presence of the Lord and, and really say, hey, God, this is what we're believing for. This is what your promises were. And so I want everyone to start by saying for me, vocalizing, can everyone say contending? Contending. And this morning, um, I want to talk about this message called The Contender. And uh, when I first looked at the definition of contending or being a contender, this is what I found out. One that contends, especially a competitor for a championship or high honor. Other synonyms of being the contender or a contender. An applicant, an applier, an aspirant, a campaigner, a candidate, an expectant a hopeful, a prospect, a seeker. The opposite to contender or the antonym that came up was a non-candidate. Then when I looked at some related words to the word contender, some other related words were competitor, contestant, entrant, entry, favorite, qualifier, the spoiler, the crown prince, the favorite son, the claimant, the nominee, the running mate, and then another antonym, interesting, that was the opposite to the contender, was the dropout. And so this morning I want to talk about that we are called to contend. We're called to be people who are in this race. And we're in this race with the Lord, and there are things that we should be contending for. I'm going to talk about some some critical things that I feel the Lord wants to encourage us to and be reminded of that we're called to be contenders for certain things. But I want to read this particular quote first by Rocky Balboa. Uh, Now, can someone inform me? I actually didn't do further research on this. Uh, We know the movie Rocky with Sylvester Stallone. Now, I'm presuming, but I'm actually not 100% confident. So someone who has got the research can maybe confirm this right here and now. Rocky Balboa was a true character? Okay, good. Someone said with conviction straight away. I like that. Thank you. Locked it in. Good. I always like to confirm that because a quote from a movie, yeah, but when we know it's actually a true story, it's got a little bit more conviction behind it. And this is what he said. He said, every champion, every champion was once a contender that refused to give up. Every champion was once a contender that refused. I want to underline the word refused. Everyone say refused. Refused to give up. And I want to read from Jude this morning, verses 3 to 4. And then I want to go into a slightly different angle than maybe what you were presuming the message to be today. So Jude, chapter 3. Actually, sorry, I think it's Jude, chapter 1, my apologies, verses 3 to 4. Beloved, although I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I now feel a need to write to encourage you to contend for the faith. That was once for all handed down to the holy ones. Verse 4. For there have been some intruders who long ago were designated for this condemnation, godless people who pervert the grace of our God into licentiousness and who deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. 
Now, if you know the book of Jude, you know that there's some pretty intense scriptures in the book of Jude. I love it because it just cuts to the chase. There's no fluff. It just gets in there. Okay. But let's break this down because the first uh, verse that we looked at, verse 3, is pretty much saying, hey, I came to reinforce the story or the, the message of salvation and the gospel to you. But he also says that based on the circumstances right now, I don't want to just do that. I also want to take my message to the next level. So I want to bring the gospel and I want to reinforce the power of the gospel in your heart. But I want to also, now that I can sense the environment, now can I, that I can sense the atmosphere, now that I can sense what's going on, I now feel a need to write to encourage you to contend for the faith that was once for all handed down to the holy ones. Now, the next verse gives us insight as to why Scripture here, the leader was wanting to actually go to the next level of not just actually bringing a refreshment of the gospel to the people of that time, but he wanted to also take it to the next level and say, hey, we also need to contend for the faith because he, he actually talks about there are some other intruders that have come in. What is he talking about here? He's talking about false teachers. He's talking about that this particular time in the early stages of the church, the message of the truth, the gospel of Jesus Christ was going out to the land and was impacting people. And as the apostles and as the disciples were going back into the regions where the church was being birthed, they were going back in to reinforce and to encourage and I suppose to, to bring a sense of guidance about, okay, how is the word being preached? How is the teaching being received? How is the fruitfulness of the church manifesting in these certain areas? And so as the man of God has gone into this particular part, he says, I can sense that today I can't just bring a refreshment or an encouragement about the gospel. I want to shift it to the next level and say that you really need to contend as you really need to fight for the faith. Another way of saying it is you really need to fight for the truth of the gospel. Because there are some intruders that have come in. There are some people that have come in, that have snuck in, that are actually speaking false teaching that's affecting the fruitfulness of the truth in this place. And I feel that there's a, you know, I've talked about this a couple of times recently, but I feel to start with this is that more so than ever, we need to be willing to contend for our faith, meaning we need to be willing to fight for the truth. Because right now in our community, in our land, in our nation, globally, there are intruders coming in who want to bring a watered down message about the truth. And they want to kind of compromise the word. And they want to say, you know, this part of the word, maybe we can adjust or change because it doesn't quite align to what society wants or what society thinks. The crazy thing is when you're willing to water down one part of the gospel, then actually what you're saying is all of the gospel is okay to be watered down, which is crazy because a big part of the Word of God are promises of the Word of God for you and I. So if you want to water down one particular part of the Word, or if you want to kind of be okay with watering down one part of the Word, then you need to be okay with watering down the very promises of God for you and your family. And I'm telling you, you should never be willing to water down the Word of God that directly talks about the promises that He has for you. See, if we're willing to water down the part of morality to do with the Word, to God because we want to just fit in with what people are saying and we lack the bravery or the ability or the conviction to contend for our faith and actually stand aground, then we have to also be willing to water down the other parts of the Word of God when we're sick and the Bible says you are healed in Jesus' name. 
See, we can't water down this part and then stand with the conviction and say, Woohoo! I'm healed in Jesus' name. See, we can't have it both ways because that's called the convenient gospel. And the true gospel is always received, activated, and spoken out of your life with a price. And so we've talked about this a little bit. If you were at conference, you probably picked up this a little bit, particularly in New Zealand conference. It went to the next level of really shaking the people of God and saying, how prepared are you to position yourself to contend for the faith? Now, I always like balance. And so I always say, but with wisdom, we can have zeal, but without wisdom. So sometimes we've got to make sure we've got that zeal and we're fighting. It's no good just going in with blind punches. Right? Ever seen a boxer goes in and hasn't really got a strategy and is trying to take on this box that's really prepared? People who do want to water down the word, people who even want to go against the word, people who even want to go against Christianity, I'm not just talking about Australia, talking all nations of the world, they are typically very prepared. Come on now, let's awaken to this. They're switched on. They've done their research. They've done their homework. They're very articulate. They're very persuasive. And so as Christians, my challenge to you is, not only should you get a conviction to contend for the faith, but if you get that conviction, which you should, are you willing to put in a little bit of preparation work to make sure that when you're in a position to contend for the faith, that you're not just throwing blind punches, but you actually have a strategy. You actually, with conviction and persuasion, knowing that the area or the circle of influence that's God positioned you, you have an ability to articulate your case, which is powerful and persuasive. See, come on, if you really have a conviction to contend for your faith, to be an ambassador for Christ, I think so more than ever, you need to actually take some time out to get your case ready and prepared. How are you going to argue? How are you going to fight for the truth of the Word of God? Can I tell you more so than ever that I think that part of the reason why we should spend time with the Lord is not just for our own needs, but also because He's trying to raise up and sharpen the very Word of God and the case for the Word of God in your mouth and in your heart. Because I believe more so than ever, we're going to be positioned in circles of influence where we need wisdom, not just seal. We're going to be at dinner parties. We're going to be at work functions. We're going to be in scenarios where there are people who will boldly and with conviction, actually right there at the dinner table, say that the Word of God is a load of rubbish. And what are, what are Christians these days? They're back in the 19th century. And seriously, they need to evolve with the times. Do you have an ability to contend? See, if you're not prepared, you may have a conviction to want to contend. But if you haven't got something prepared that's strong, that's wise, that's articulate, that's at a level of some intelligence, you'll sit there and you'll grit your teeth and you'll think, oh, I wish I could just tell them what the truth is. But usually you'll stay in that place of intimidation right in the back of the corner, like the corner of the boxing ring, because you actually haven't got a one-two punch already pre-worked out. I feel really strong in my heart for us as a church family that if we want to be people who impact beyond the walls, that more so than ever, the whole level of our ability to articulate the case of the gospel has to go to a new level. We have to sharpen it. So many times in the last five years have Christian leaders, and I'm not just talking church leaders, I'm talking people in areas of influence who are representing Christ or say they're representing Christ. They take an invitation to media 
maybe thinking, oh, wow, this is exciting. God's really moving. But don't actually have a strategy and don't realize that the journalist and the other person that they're going to be interviewed against has prepared to really take them on has prepared points, curveballs to throw at them, to actually make them uh, stuff up their words or not quite articulate what they want to articulate, try to, to trip them up, to actually then record that and show, oh, look at this guy, he can't even argue the case for his God. Now, we know sometimes that we don't have to be perfect. I believe in the philosophy of progress before perfection. Everyone say that, progress before perfection. It doesn't mean we have to be perfect. And sometimes God turns up and he does the miraculous, but also God's giving us the mind of Christ. Christ himself, let's look at Jesus as an example, was very good at dealing with the Pharisee spirit. The Pharisee spirit was the same spirit that's in operation today that was trying to trip Jesus up in front of a crowd, trying to bring a discreditation to the truth, to who he was, to the miracles, to the anointing, to everything in the flood, and tried to snare him up with a religious spirit. He had a great ability to stand his ground, argue back, push back, trip them up, but he didn't look like he was too prideful or he didn't know what to say or he hadn't done his preparation. He didn't come across as someone that wasn't culturally relevant. He came across as someone who was incredibly wise. He, in fact, dumbfounded the Pharisees in how he responded to their pre-planned questioning technique that was designed to take this man down in terms of his credibility in front of the people and the government of the time. The religious Pharisee spirit plans. The enemy plans. He's very strategic. Is he more powerful than our God? No. But if we're to be true ambassadors carrying a conviction that we are contending for the faith, we can't just rock up and wing it. Come on now. We've got to be prepared in this day and age. So everyone say, I'm called to be a contender. So that was one angle I wanted to go um, on. But another angle I wanted to talk about is the contender versus the pretender. A contender versus the pretender. The word pretender is pretty easy to grasp, isn't it? You are there on kind of a, a false way of how you're holding yourself, someone who is faking it, enjoying the benefits, but not embracing perhaps the responsibilities or the sacrifices that come with walking out the benefits of a Christian walk. Whereas the contender is someone who, in an ongoing fashion, is not afraid of what the gospel costs. That's why I chose the word contender versus the pretender. So a contender is someone who sees all that is ahead and still says, in spite of all the hurdles, in spite of all the pitfalls, in spite of all the roadblocks, in spite of all the enemies, in spite of the fact that Christianity is becoming less and 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 less popular and politically correct, in spite of all of that, Jesus owns me, he owns my heart, and I will contend for him. That's what a contender is. This is what the man of God in Jude wanted to shift his teaching, shift his encouragement, shift his message to this new place of come on people of God. It's not just about us reinforcing the truth. We've got to be willing to stand on it and speak in defense of it. And be careful that we don't fall into this identity called the pretender. When you're a real contender which means you have a depth of motive 
of why you are contending. When you're a real contender, you can last the distance because the conviction that's deep, the motivation of why you're doing what you're doing for Christ is so deep that even in the hard times, that depth of motivation helps you to go through those hard times and helps you to refuse to give up. Even if persecution breaks out. You know, I'll never forget this. My, f- my third week as a Christian, and uh, <clears throat> my, my, uh, my female pastor at the time had a, a, a strong reputation of being very brave and very bold and very strong. More on the just get over it, just get over yourself kind of thing, you know. And there's some good things to that because it was like it came in and it was this real strong kind of mothering thing. And, and so anyway, <clears throat> third week as a Christian and I was at acting school. These are people who are smoking marijuana. These are people who are snorting speed. These are people who are sleeping around. These are people who are just living up the Babylon life, right? And I'd come out of that and now I was a born again, full on fire, zealous, but lacking wisdom Christian. And I went to my female pastor at the time. And I said, oh, I'm fully just being berated and I'm being embarrassed and people are coming against me. I just, can you just, oh, I can't believe what's going on right now. This is really tough. And she said, you're being persecuted. You need to suck it up, get over it. This is what it's all about. Find out a strategy. She said, you're switched on, you're smart enough. Get in the presence of God, get in the word of God. Ask Jesus what to do and he'll tell you. This is an opportunity to rise up, son. Come on. It comes, with the, it comes with the price of being a follower of Jesus. You're being persecuted. It's a good thing. It'll mold you. It'll make you. Come on now. Get over it. Know what's going to happen. Don't be afraid of it. Just have a strategy to prepare for it. Now, can I tell you, I walked away going, oh, well, that wasn't what I was expecting. I was expecting her to sit there. Do we have Zara's little cat? I was expecting her to go, there, there. <laughs> you poor little baby Christian. It's terrible. Let us put you in a Christianity sleeping bag, the right temperature. Do you have you sit there for a couple of months while we nurture your spirit back down? No, she didn't do that. She said, all right, I understand, but get over it. This is what you're expecting. Now grow up, feed yourself on the word of God. Get in the presence of God and change from being a kitten to being a lion because that's exactly what God uses persecution for. Now go for it. Bang. Can I tell you, I walked away a bit bruised, but man, it got a rocket up me. If you know what I'm saying, that going any further. It really... Right? And that's kind of what I feel like the Holy Spirit's wanting to do to get a rocket positioned appropriately behind us, (laughs) right? And maybe to shake a couple of us today to understand that, hey, we're in a particular time right now where we can't afford to kind of be wishy-washy. And it's not just about you and how you come across, but it's also about just the condition of your heart and your life. Uh, Because I think more, more so than ever, it's the pretenders in the body of Christ that will be hurt they're going to get knocked around. You've got to go to your God and say, God, this is a reality. I'm an influence. Life's not easy. And more and more, um, for me being a Christian in my workplace, in my school, in my university, where, whatever circle of influence, it's going to be tough. 
So you need to be willing to fight. Okay, so when you are a real contender, first of all, I want to say this. You can last the distance and you can and will refuse to give up. One thing I feel the Holy Spirit wants to release to our church family today, excuse me, is stop contending with God in inappropriate ways. Apostle Jane Hammond says sometimes it's good. You know, Jacob wrestled with the angel of the Lord, angel of the Lord re- representing God himself. And in fact, some scriptures, when you look at interpretation, says it was the very presence of God himself. But Jacob wrestled. Sometimes we need to get in that place where we actually take our case to God. Apostle Jane Hammond was talking about. But I feel like sometimes we contend with God on things that we should have just given in to God ages ago. There are some things I feel like the Holy Spirit's saying. There are some things in people's life where you're still arguing with God about. And I hear the Lord say, you need to actually allow God to win and actually allow God to move in that area and stop fighting God on those areas. And I hear the Lord say that you, you, you yourself, if that's for you, will know what that's about. So stop contending with God in inappropriate places in your heart. Allow Him to come in and for you to flow with Him. I also hear this, the Holy Spirit saying, contend for the faith. Don't be a pretender with your faith. Don't be a pretender with the truth. Contend for the faith. Stand for the truth. Don't water down your faith. Don't water down the truth. Be a contender. I hear the Lord also saying, contend for your local church. Don't be a pretender. Don't come in here and pretend that you're into it. Get into it. If you're not into it and you're pretending... Then ask the Lord to enter your heart. If the Holy Spirit comes into your heart, right, things will become more exciting to do with the local church. Typically, when you're not really into your local church, it's not usually the local church that's the issue. It's your heart. It's because there's something dead on the inside of you spiritually. So the worship, the, the fellowship, the prayer time, the ministry, there's something about the electricity of the Holy Spirit that's not really switching on the batteries on the inside of you because there's something about you that hasn't initiated towards the Holy Spirit. You're not getting anything from the word. Usually it's the condition of your heart is the reason. Or you're offended or you've got lack, uh, some, uh, a lack of forgiveness going on. It's not usually because the word's not powerful. I thought I'd just add that in, you know. <laughs> Contend for your promises. Don't be a pretender. Don't go, oh, yes, and amen. Yes, I'm leaving. Praise Jesus. And then you get back in your car and it's like Mr. and Mrs. Doubt. Mm, this is not going to happen. Come on, don't be a pretender. Be a contender. I hear the Lord say this, stop wrestling with the past and start wrestling with your future. I hear the Lord say, stop contending with your past and start contending for your future. And so let's lock this in today by looking at a particular story in Acts. We're going to go to Acts chapter 8. It talks about two particular characters it talks about Simon, who is the pretender. And then it looks at the eunuch, who's a great example of being a true contender. And so in Acts chapter 8, <clears throat> I'm going to read this particular part of Scripture. A man named Simon, this is uh, chapter 8 verse 9. If you're turning to Acts chapter 8 verse 9, that's where we're starting. This is about Simon the magician, the sorcerer. A man named Simon used to practice magic in the city and astound of the people of Samaria, claiming to be someone great. And all of them, from the least to the greatest, paid attention to him, saying, 
This man is the power of God that is called great. They paid attention to him because he had astounded them by his magic for a long time. But once they began to believe Philip, who was a true man of God, who, who came into that same location where Simon was making lots of money with his, his magic, the, the uh, counterfeit to the Holy Spirit, Philip, the true man of God, who was born again, moving in the power of the Holy Spirit, comes into the same area and starts moving in miracles with the Holy Spirit. And so it says in verse 12, But once they began to believe Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus, men and women alike were baptized. Even Simon himself, the magician, believed and after Simon was baptized, became devoted to Philip. And when he saw the signs and mighty deeds that were occurring, he was astounded. Verse 14, Now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent them Peter and John who went down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For it had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Verse 17, then they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Verse 18, critical verse. When Simon saw the magician who was into the gospel because he was astounded by what it was doing, when Simon saw that the Spirit was conferred by the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me this power too, so that anyone upon whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Verse 20, but Peter said to him, may your money perish with you because you thought that you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no share or lot in this matter, for your heart is not upright before God. Repent of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible, your intention may be forgiven. For I see that you are filled with bitter gall and you are in the bounds of iniquity. Simon replied, saying this, Oh, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now, what's interesting is this is a classic example of a pretender. Simon is making lots of money using the counterfeit of the Holy Spirit. He's a sorcerer. He's using magic and he's astounding people and he's drawing a crowd. Then a true man of God comes, moves in the power of the Holy Spirit, signs and wonders are happening, and people are like full into the gospel, and the people are gathering around this man of God. Now watch this. When we study it, Simon is attracted to the gospel. He's attracted to what the power of the Holy Spirit creates. And so he actually said, I'm into this. I want to follow after you. He even got water baptized. But his heart wasn't right. He wasn't truly responding to the gospel because he was really wanting Jesus himself. He was wanting all the benefits that came with the package called Jesus and the Holy Spirit. How do we know that his heart wasn't right? Because when he continued to watch how this, as he saw it, the Christian show was out doing his show, he was like, He was a pretender. He was drawn to Christ. He was drawn to the gospel. He was drawn to Christianity because of what it could do for him. The benefits. Now, if you are interested in the benefits of the Christianity, that's okay. As long as the first primary reason what you're doing is because you're into Jesus. 
and you're, you're wanting to live a repentant life. He was a pretender. Now, what's even interesting is that when he was called out on it, and they said, you need to repent, even his response to being called out on it even highlighted further that he was still a pretender. Because watch this. When he was told, you can't buy the benefits of the Holy Spirit with money, you need to repent. He didn't actually repent with his reply. He just said, oh, well, if I really what he was saying was, well, if I can't have the benefits, can you then get rid of the consequences that's going to come from me actually wanting the benefits without actually wanting really Jesus? Because he was rebuked and said, if you allow this condition of your heart to stay, you know, this is... He didn't respond by going, I'm so sorry. I need Jesus. I love Jesus. I don't want... I want the... He didn't respond that way. He said, oh, please, can you get rid of the consequences? He was still concerned about the selfish focus. If I can't have the benefits with paying for money, well, then please get rid of extra the consequences that may come because I had that heart condition. Let's have a look at his reply. Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Still a pretender. In fact, when you study the scripture, the way that they described Simon was exactly the same way that they described Judas. The way that they said that him being a pretender, that the consequence of that is really positioning him in a place of darkness. Now, can, could Simon in that moment, having heard the man of God convict him, and the light bulb went on and he realized he was a pretender, could he have then repented and been able to follow Christ in a fruitful way and lay down that selfish ambition and actually develop a healthy relationship with Christ? Yes. Everyone say yes. But even when he was convicted, his response was still very self-focused of just about wanting to avoid the consequences, not actually wanting to really have Christ in his life and in his heart. This is why it's so important that we guard our heart and we take stock of our life right now. To allow the Holy Spirit to say, hey, if there's any place of your heart that's been more of a pretender rather than a contender, It doesn't mean that you're sentenced to hell, but what it does mean is you're given an opportunity to respond and to help the Holy Spirit wash that part of your life out because more so than ever, God is unmasking the pretentiousness. Let's look at this other example, the eunuch. When we have a look at the eunuch, And we're going to go to skip a particular part of the verse. We're going to go to this particular part here. We're going to go to, let's have a look at chapter, still chapter 8. But it's verse 34. And so Philip goes to another part of the land and he sees a eunuch by himself. There's no crowns, there's no show. It's a eunuch by himself. And so he's invited in, the eunuch invites Philip to get in and sit with him where he's sitting by himself. And there was a particular scripture that the eunuch was reading at that time in verse 32. If you're turning to, uh, if you're turning to the particular scripture, which is Acts chapter 8, verse 32. It says this, this was the scripture passage he was reading. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Verse 33, in his humiliation, justice was denied. 
Who will tell of his posterity for his life is taken from the earth? He was actually reading from Isaiah talking about the prophecy of Jesus, the lamb that would be slain. And then the eunuch said to Philip in reply, turning to Philip as a teacher, he said, Philip, I beg you, about whom is the prophet saying this? About whom? Everyone say whom. Every, everyone, if you've got your Bible open, underline the word whom. About whom or about who, 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 who is this person that the prophet is talking about? That's the first cue or clue or sign that the spirit on this eunuch was about birthing him to become a contender for Christ. Because he was attracted and drawn to the person of Jesus. Come on now, attracted to the person of Christ. Who is this? Not, wow, what's this show all about? What's this wonder all about? What are all these great attractive benefits all about? How do I get on board with this so I can actually partake in all of these benefits in this great show? Can I pay you money? What do I need to do? See, the funny thing is Simon completely had no revelation of the true price that had to be paid to be a contender. That's why he was a pretender. He didn't realize that it wasn't money, an external thing. It was actually the heart that he had to use. To buy the truth of Jesus Christ. But the eunuch understood that because he was attracted to not the show. Not the show of ministry. Come on now. Not the show of the anointing. Not the show of the kingdom. Not the show of the miracles. Not the show of my profile on Facebook and how many people like the quotes and scriptures that I put on Facebook. Not the show, not the crowd, not the the love of the people adoring how amazing I am or what I'm doing and how great I am. Not the show. Jesus. Who? Who is this person? Then Philip opened his mouth. And beginning with this scripture passage, he proclaimed Jesus to him. And as they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, there is water. What is to prevent my being baptized? And then he ordered the chariot to stop. And Philip and the eunuch both went down into the water and he baptized him. And when they came out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more, but continued on his way rejoicing. Philip led him to the Lord. And immediately his response was to repent and to become water baptized as a way to say, Man, I want this Jesus, and I want to obey this Jesus. His very response to finding out who Jesus was, was he wanted to immediately become inconvenienced. He immediately wanted to become inconvenienced. He wanted his chariot. Come on, the eunuch was in a chariot. Do you think if someone's in a chariot, they've got some level of convenience in their life? Come on now. He wasn't walking with broken sandals. He was in a chariot. He was someone who enjoyed convenience. He immediately responded to Christ by wanting to become inconvenienced, by stopping and doing it right there and then. Immediate response. He didn't say, oh, you know what? Let's just park that for now because um, I have a luncheon that I've got to go, go, go to. And the chariot's kind of there. And we've fed the horses. They're ready to go. I know that the water's right there. But look, why don't we postpone it to next Tuesday at 10 o'clock? That's going to be more convenient for me. You want to inconvenience yourself for Christ. 
Christ in you wants you to respond at times by being inconvenienced. Turn to the person next to you and say, I love this word. I'm getting convicted. The eunuch was a contender. Simon was a pretender. And I want to finish with a couple of thoughts. I'm going to ask Jason to come. This is the key thought I want to finish with. So here is these two stories. Two guys. Contrasting scenarios. A man driven... By external attractiveness, Simon, a pretender, pretending that he was really into Jesus. But actually, he was more into the external attractiveness of what Jesus could give him. Sounds like someone else I've heard of in the Bible. Right at the beginning in Genesis. So what we're going to be careful of is, even though Simon's an example of right at the beginning, when he got encountered with the reality of the power of God and Jesus, right at the beginning he was a pretender. But sometimes people can actually start off being a contender and can then become a pretender. Lucifer is a perfect example of that. He started off being an amazing contender. Judas started off being a great contender. But somewhere along the line, his heart turned. And so even though we're looking at the book of the example of Simon, it's not always straight away that we actually can become a pretender for the things of God. Sometimes you could be a Christian for 15 years and then something goes on in a season of one year. And bit by bit, bit by bit, your heart starts to shift or turn from being a contender to becoming a pretender. The good news is, is that when the Lord highlights this, He's just calling you to repent. Why? Because you're not a robot. You're a human being and sometimes you fall down. But it's how you respond. The Lord would encourage you today that in the privacy between you and Him in your own heart, if you're sensing there's elements of you being a pretender, the love of Him doesn't want to cast a shadow of shame over you. He actually want to pour, pours His light into your heart to show you and to actually help you to extract that so that it doesn't hold you back. So the way to respond to this type of word is not to feel shame, not to feel guilt, not to feel like you're just not good enough. Because if I was really honest, and if we were really honest with each other, as a family should be, there's probably no person here that's never really experienced some level of pretending. Why do I know that? Because you're not God yourself. You're a fallen being who needs Christ to be made whole. So there should be no shame, but there should be a response. See, where it says the truth sets you free, it's when you receive the truth, you don't recognize what God's trying to say and then turn away from it and shove all that stuff under a carpet. See, that's not what Jesus wants you to do to respond. 
I think sometimes we do that because we respond in the wrong way where we take on shame or we take on condemnation because the Word's convicting us. God says that's not the purpose of the Word. The Word is to come with light and to come with love. And sometimes it comes strong to break up the hardness of the heart. If you have the hard soil, if you just kind of tap on it with a spade like this, you're not really going to bring any breaking through of the hardened soul. Sometimes you actually have to pelt it a little bit. Or sometimes you have to sharpen the edge of that spade and go it in an angle. Sometimes it's the sharpness of the word, like a good surgeon, that actually helps to penetrate through that tough tissue to get to the area that really needs healing or area that needs to be removed. That's what I'm sensing this after, or this morning as God's just finishing off this message. So here is these stories, these two guys contrasting scenarios. A man driven by external attractiveness and a man humbled by an internal understanding of Jesus. You might or could say that Simon saw the product of Christianity. Whereas the eunuch, the Ethiopian eunuch saw the person of Christianity. You could say like this, that Simon saw the what, whereas the eunuch saw the who. You could say like this, that Simon saw Jesus as useful, whereas the eunuch saw him as beautiful. You might or even say it like this, that Simon considered Jesus was a tool that he could use, whereas the eunuch saw Jesus as a treasure. Why don't we just stand here this morning? It's coming to a time of prayer. I want everyone just to close your eyes just as we finish. Just put your hand on your heart this morning. Let's just create a nice moment between you and God. Let's shut out everyone else. Let's make it not about the crowd. Let's make it not about how someone next to you or behind you is responding to the word. Let's just make this about you and Him this morning. Lord Jesus, We just pray right now, Father. Have your way in this place. Lord, today afresh. I just want to get everyone to repeat this. Today afresh, Jesus, I give my heart to you. And I ask your forgiveness. Come into my life in a fresh way. Lord, forgive me where I've been a pretender. Jesus, help me to be a contender. Jesus, lighten the load right now. Help me to shed any unforgiveness, any bitterness, any heaviness. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. Now just lift your hands to the Lord. Just as a sign of surrender. Beautiful God, we love you. Lord Jesus, we honor you here this morning. That you are the most amazing, incredible King, God, friend. You are the King of Kings. And you are the Lord of Lords. We thank you, Lord, for your example. That you're always loving us, no matter what. That you'll always protect us. 
that you'll lift our shame and that you'll help us to walk with you. Lord, we just want to honor you in this place and we want to thank you and we want to say we will contend for your word. We will contend for your kingdom. We will contend for your house, for your church. We will contend for your people. We will contend for the nation of Australia. We will contend for the city of Brisbane. We will contend for our family. We will contend for our children. We will contend for our marriage. We will contend for our calling. We will contend for the promises of God in our life. We will contend in Jesus' mighty name. And when you say amen, let's give him a clap offering to finish off this morning. Thank you, Lord.